Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're talking about work-life strategy. This is our third message into a very pivotal series for City Bible Church. Reclaiming our workplace as a God place is what we're talking about. And if you haven't yet tuned into the messages, please try to go to our web and download or get them onto your iPod and listen to these messages as we go through reclaiming our workplace as a God place. Our work has a special and unique place in our lives, and this is what we're trying to deal with in the series. As we gain clarity of our work life, so we begin to gain clarity in every area of life. I want to bring up my first slide, our work-life strategy, and this is what we're trying to accomplish. It's to lift our life at work to a new level of purpose and influence that turns everyday work into a dynamic mission. Now that is, in a nutshell, what I'm trying to do every single message. I want you to turn your everyday work into a dynamic mission. It's possible. We believe it's more than probable. It's possible and it's doable that your work can be a dynamic mission in life. Your workplace mission is to see my workplace as a God placement. Now, again, I hope you understand that this is the purpose of the series, that your workplace is your God place, where I serve God with excellence, with purpose, influencing people for Christ, expanding the kingdom of God every day. All of us are involved in many levels of work. Some are preparing for the work world, going through college, going to graduate, get into the workforce. Other people have been in the workforce for a long time. You're looking for more purpose and promotions and success and achievement. Others are business owners and managers and professionals and career people. Our life definitely has a work piece to it. God is a worker. God worked six days, rested on the seventh. Throughout the Bible, God chose people out of their workplace to use them. So we understand that the workplace is a dynamic place if we make it a dynamic place because it's our calling. Workplace calling. Affirming my workplace as a strategic God place for me to fulfill the call of God as an excellent worker and a kingdom representative. Now this is my calling. That my workplace is a strategic place for me to fulfill my calling. My calling is not fulfilled inside the four walls of the church. Not fulfilled inside the four walls of anywhere. It's, in, it's a fulfillment of life. As you go into life, you fulfill the purposes of God. A big part of that is your work life. Now for me, my work life is my church life because that's my profession. But I still have other life even outside of my church profession where I fulfill my work life. Every person has a call to be a great worker, to be excellent in your work, and to be a kingdom representative. Now, today we're talking about the five absolutes of your work-life calling. Five absolutes of your work-life calling. These absolutes lead to living with, and this is what we're after, purpose, priorities, plans, with prayer. Every person can establish the absolutes of work-life calling. There's five of them. These absolutes lead to living with purpose, priorities, 
making right plans, and then living out these absolutes with prayer. Let's go to the five absolutes of every person in work life. Absolute number one, absolute of work-life calling. We are called to serve God in and through our work. Our calling is to serve God in and through our work. God used people in their job workplaces that God placed throughout the Bible. Abraham was a rancher and a shepherd. God called him forth from his workplace to become a man that would involve his serving an entire nation. But he was a worker, rich with influence, rich with the riches of this world and wealth that he would share with people. He was a successful man. Nehemiah was a professional. He was a cupbearer. He worked for the government. He worked for the king. He was a protector. He was the security for the king's life. He had wisdom. He had administration. He had faith. He was not afraid to face the pressure that was involved with his job. Think about being a cupbearer where you had to taste the food, taste the wine to make sure there was no poison. You were the protector. You were the security guard at the highest level for the king. You were trusted. You were loyal. You were brave. He was a cupbearer. He also was the one who God used to rebuild the city, but God called him forth from his profession and used his profession to do something dynamic in the kingdom of God. David was a shepherd Ruth was a gleaner in the field. Joseph was the governor of Egypt. Ezra was a scribe. Jehoshaphat was a recorder of songs. Joab and Jonathan were military leaders. Deborah was a judge. Gideon was a farmer. Simon, Peter, and Andrew, they were fishermen. Luke was a doctor. Matthew, a tax collector. Investor, accountant. Lydia, a businesswoman, entrepreneurial in spirit, great influence. Paul, Aquila, and Priscilla were tent makers. They were house builders of that day. They were blue-collar people, so to speak. Tent makers used material to make living tent homes also for the traveling, which was hundreds of thousands of people that were involved with traveling used in their tents. Dorcas was a seamstress. Joseph was a carpenter, and by the way, Jesus was a carpenter. So you see that God has used people in their workplace. Their whole life was involved in something that God could extract from them and use in the kingdom of God. Your workplace is your God place, your gift place, your calling. God wants to use you there. Have faith whether you're a carpenter, iron worker, work at a hotel, a restaurant, a professional doctor or lawyer or dentist. God wants to use you in your workplace. Please, in your Bible right now, I'd like you to turn to the book of Colossians, chapter 3. I want you to underline this scripture in your Bible, Colossians 3.22, through verse 24. Colossians 3.22 through 24. I'll read as you find it, you underline. Bond servants, obey in all things, your masters, according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, not to men, 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Message translation. Servants. Would you say out loud the word servants? Servants. Every worker falls into the category of this verse. Every person in the workforce, work life, you are servants. Do what you're told by your earthly masters. Don't just do the minimum. That will get you by. But it says in the message translation, do your best. Work from the heart for your real master for God. Confident that you will get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. If there is ever a verse that would change the life of a worker, it's Colossians 3.22. That you are working for your ultimate master, the Lord Jesus Christ. You're serving the earthly master as if you were serving God himself. A worker's mandate. Would you please write these down? Here's what a worker's mandate involved out of Colossians 3.22. I have taken and extracted out what I would call a worker's mandate. One, workers are servants. One who serves in obedience to another's will. One who serves in humility. Where your will is consumed in the will of the person that you are making successful. Joy is found in making your boss successful. Your business successful. You serve with great hearts for another because you have a servant's heart. Workers are servants. They're consumed with what they can do to help other people. At least this should be the spirit of our work in that we want to make our boss and our business so successful that our will is consumed by their will in a godly way. We put our life into our work. Number two, workers are responsive. They obey. Workers are responsive and obey. It means they listen and respond with the right attitude. Every boss, every business would love to have workers that do exactly what I'm saying right here. There are people that know how to respond and obey with the right attitude. Like a doorkeeper who hears the knock at the door and immediately they answer the door with a great smile and a great attitude. This is the attitude of a worker that the Apostle Paul said falls into the category of the worker's mandate. They work with such a great attitude and they respond with what is told them with a smile and a help attitude that you can never really turn them sideways because their attitude is so right. They're a servant. And when they're told what to do, they do it with response. They do it immediately. And this is how the worker wins people over in the workforce because of their attitude. Number three, workers are sincere. They don't just give eye service. They give heart service. They're sincere. Eye service is service rendered without dedication. That is, you go through the routine of work, but you don't give it your all. You don't give it your life. You don't give it your heart. You might have a hundred reasons why. You don't like the job or it's too much pressure. You don't get paid enough. And there could be a lot of reasons why you don't give it your heart. But the Bible says you are to serve your master, the person you work for in your workplace, in such a way that your servant's attitude makes them successful 
in in such a way they would say, now that person is so very responsive. Every time I deal with them, they are so very responsive and they're sincere. They don't just serve with eye service. They have dedication. They have a sense of inner obligation to what they're doing. Mainly, they're attracted to doing this for the sake of the kingdom of God. They're not just working for the sake of appearance. They don't look good just when the boss is around. They're not just doing eye service. They are in all the way. They're working with all their heart, with all their strength. Next, workers that are genuine. Sincerity of heart means simplicity, a moral trait, purity of motive. Again, we're talking about every one of us on our job, our sincerity not with eye service only, but with sincerity of heart and simplicity, a a moral strength of character, purity of motive, sincere, not having an ulterior or double motive in what we do. A person who is faithful to help with the right motives because they're so genuine, they're so responsive, they're so serving. Who would not want to hire someone like that? Who would not want to promote someone like that? Who would not want to give bonuses to someone like that? That's sincere and genuine. Next, it says workers that are devoted. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Do it with deep feeling. Think about people that work with half a heart, half a feeling. Paul says work with deep feeling. Work with deep thinking. Choosing to do with your energy. Not afraid to give a piece of your life, a piece of your soul. Liberal giving of your virtue. Perform, accomplish, carry out. Do it with all your heart. Don't be afraid you're going to get tired. Don't be afraid you're going to give too much. Don't Be afraid that you'll leave too much at the job. Be devoted to where you are. Not just to where you want to be, but to where you are. Workers, it says in this passage, are gods. Amazing scripture where it says, work as to the Lord, not to men. This would solve most of our problems right here. Serving Jesus as your boss. Your work is for Jesus, who is Lord over all, including the earthly boss. You align your life to serve God by serving the natural boss as if you were directly serving Jesus. This would solve most of our problems. Workers are paid by Jesus. From the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. Jesus will reward you according to your work, and he's ultimately your boss, and he's ultimately your payday. He knows how to get that promotion to you, how to get that raise to you, how to multiply and help you achieve and be successful in your job. My pay will come ultimately from the Lord. What a great thing to feel. I'm not being angry with someone else. I'm not thinking how bad I'm being treated. I'm not feeling like I'm left out. Why? Because I'm working for Jesus. And if I'm working for Jesus, he keeps the books. I'm working for Jesus. He knows when to promote If I'm working for Jesus, he watches my heart and my soul and my motive and my energy. So when no one's looking, you're still working for Jesus. When no one's watching you, you're still not cutting any corners. You're not leaving anything sloppy around. You're not trying just to get by at your job to make sure you get in your eight hours. You are giving your best. You are giving your all. You are giving it with a good attitude. 
You are working as under God. You have a pure motive. You are doing something that God is well pleased with. When you have this kind of a working spirit, you have what I call a worker's worship. Not only the mandate to be the kind of man we're talking about or the kind of woman we're talking about in the workforce that you have a mandate to fulfill, you also have a worker's worship. Work becomes, now I hope you can believe this, work becomes worship when you dedicate it to God and perform it with an awareness of his presence. Ask, how can I redeem my world of retail? How can I redeem my world of business? How can I redeem my workplace for the kingdom of God? Work becomes worship when you dedicate it to God. Worship is a dedication. So you take your job, you take all the tasks that you do every day, you take your job description, you take it and you write it out, and you put that sheet before the Lord and say, Lord, I dedicate this to you. Lord, I worship you through my job. Lord, I put on the altar this sacrifice right here. And Lord, I take pleasure in your will. Lord, I take pleasure in your provision. Lord, you have put me in this place and I worship you with all of my heart through my job and through my activities. As you do that, work can become worship. Revelation 4 and verse 11. You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. That includes my job. Revelation 4.11. And by your will they exist. And they were created. My work becomes worship. Also, not only a worker's mandate and a worker's worship, which is all heart and attitude. It's also a worship. Worker's character comes into play. A worker's character. Obviously, diligence is a God-ordained way to work. I would think all of us know that. And is a mark of a good character. Laziness and idleness are sins, and believers have a responsibility to drop them off of their life. You have a responsibility to be warned about this and even to be rebuked if you're lazy, idle, taking advantage of other people's money and time. And if you find lazy people, the Bible says you are to confront them and help them get out of their laziness. Ephesians 4.28 Let him who steal, steal no longer. But rather, let him labor. Working with his hands, Ephesians 4.28. What is good? That he may have something to give him who has need. My work is part of my responsibility. I don't sit idle. I'm not lazy. I'm working to help other people. My hands are involved. Second Thessalonians 3.10. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, the Apostle Paul. If anyone will not work... Neither shall he eat. Diligence is a God-ordained way to work. Please, make a commitment to diligence. Please, today, make a commitment to a good attitude. Please, today, make a commitment to authenticity on your job. 
make a commitment that you'll leave some of your soul and your emotion in that job and will not be afraid that it will never come back to you. It's all right to invest yourself in that job. Diligence is where we focus on what needs to be done. God is interested in how a person works in the job. He is interested, the Bible teaches this. He's interested in how we work at the job we currently have, whether we work wholeheartedly or with laziness or with idleness. He wants us to work with diligence. What would it look like? Ask yourself the question. What would it look like if he went to work and for one day you decided to do work for the Lord and not for your boss? Then you would actually be working for Jesus that day. Every attitude, every word, every bit of your life and energy would be as if God was in that house, God was in that place, and you were working for God. Find out what that feels like. Do it for one whole day. What would it look like if you did your work with your heart for the Lord, to please the Lord? With your heart to represent the Lord? What would you have to change in your way of work? An eye-pleaser is someone who gives minimum performance unless someone is watching. We don't want that. We want diligence. We want heart. We want soul. We want joy. We want investment. We want kingdom representation. We want our workplace to become a worship place. Our workplace to become a place of joy. Our workplace to become a place of peace. Our workplace to become where you are the peacemaker. Our workplace to become a place where you have discipline in your words. A workplace where you reconcile other people. You are the solution. You are the answer. You don't give in to the problem. You do something that makes your workplace an awesome place to work because you put yourself into it as a kingdom representative. Here's a picture of what we would call an overachiever. Here's a picture of a worker who you might or might not know. Some of you might immediately will giggle and say, I know who that is. When he shows up to work, he's ready to go. He's fired up on all cylinders. Well, in the sitcom he plays in, he's a little bit of an overachiever. He loves his work so much that he turned his name into an acrostic to show how dedicated of a worker he is. I don't know if you should do this, but he changed his the white name and determined worker, intense, good worker, hard worker, terrific. You don't have to really do that if you're already doing those things. You don't have to kind of put the sign in front and use an acrostic for your name and say, I'm an intense, wonderful guy, wonderful gal, and I'm a worker and this is what I do. You don't have to be a Dwight, although we might need a little bit more of his spirit on the workplace at times because he is so dedicated to his work. Second thing, as an absolute. You're called to see work as a gift from God. Think about it. Work is a gift from God. Ecclesiastes 2.24, nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink, that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. And this also I saw was from the hand of God. Ecclesiastes 2.24. Ecclesiastes 3.13, and also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. If you have been living below this gift, please come up a few steps. 
Have some faith for what I'm preaching. Ephesians speaks about working right and not being lazy. And we have scriptures in Thessalonians and we have scriptures in Ecclesiastes, both old and new. Enjoy your work. How? As a gift from God. God created you to be a person who could enjoy hard work. Enjoy creativity. Enjoy achieving. Enjoy going through, not just enduring the hours, but creating worship within your work. Ecclesiastes 5, 18, 19. Here's what I have seen. It is good and fitting for one to eat and drink and enjoy the good of his labor in which he toiled under the sun all the days of his life. Quote, Emerson said, the sum of wisdom is that time is never lost that is devoted to work. Another quote, without work, all life goes rotten. But when work is soulless, life stifles and dies. Horrible thing when we allow ourselves to stifle and die because our job is dead within us. It's not just our job, it's a piece of our character. It's a piece of the reason and purpose we live. So I'm calling you back to purpose and back online to say your job is a gift from God. Your work, your ability to work is a gift from God. Using our God-given abilities and opportunities to be useful and to accomplish tasks is satisfying. Whenever you find the right job that does align your talents with your responsibilities and your gifts with that place of achievement, life begins to take on a new form. Work is no longer work. It is worship. Work is no longer hard. It is fun. Although you'll be tired, it won't feel like the tiredness you have when you don't want to be doing what you're doing. When you're fitted for the job, when you are ready to do that kind of work that God has called you to do and you find the right place, and this is what I'm hoping will happen with every person, that you would find the right place. Proverbs 12, 11. He who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows in a lazy way is devoid of understanding. So we're going to be satisfied with the bread that God gives us, the job that comes in for us. Proverbs 22, 29, claim it. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He'll stand before kings. He will not stand before the unknown men. He will stand before kings. Remember this, and it's part of God's character. Excellence is God's character. Excellence is God's way. Excellence is how God builds things, how God does things. And you are called to a spirit of excellence in everything you do. Number three, the third absolute, is we're called to use our resources for my life and for others. It's God supplies for me. When I work, things come in. God begins to prosper my hands and my business and my job, my career. When he begins to prosper us, let us also know that our resources are used to bless other people. Ephesians 4.28, if you understand the labor of your hands as what? To do good to other people. 1 Thessalonians 4.11 and 12, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, mind your own business, and to work. 
with your own hands, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. Our resources that God puts in our hand to our work is to bless other people, help other people, give to other people, minister to other people, create a margin in our life so that we can bless someone else. Helen Keller, quote, I long to accomplish a great noble task. Is this not what we all think? But it is my chief duty to accomplish humble tasks as though they were great and noble. The world has moved along not by the mighty shoves of its heroes, but also by the aggregate of the tiny pushes of each honest worker. What an awesome quote. We think it's the big heroes and it's the big task, but as Helen Keller points out, it's the little shoves and the little pushes of every honest worker. Mother Teresa, I pray that you will understand the words of Jesus. Love one another as I have loved you. And ask yourself, how has he loved me? Do I really love others in the same way? Unless there is love among us, we can kill ourselves with work and it will only be work, not love. Work without love is slavery. When you have no purpose in your work, it's slavery. When you don't see that your work can be an extension of the kingdom of God, and that your placement in the kingdom of God is so important, it can be drudgery to you. So our work must have this thing called purpose. What we really want to do is what we are really meant to do. Hopefully, that comes true to every person. When we do what we are meant to do, money comes to us. Doors open for us. We feel useful, and the work we do feels like play to us. Oh God, let this be our portion. What we really want to do is what we are really meant to do, when we do what we are meant to do, money comes to us. Doors open for us. We feel useful and the work we do feels like play to us or like worship to us. Aristotle says, pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work. The more you enjoy, the more the attitude's right, the more the spirit of worship is there, the more you expect God to please you as you please him in your work, in your job, in your place, then the pleasure of the work begins to perfect the work itself. Number four, we're called to prosper. And, it, and I, I want every person to claim this for their own workplace, whether you're blue-collar, white-collar, wherever you are on the ladder, whatever you're doing in life. Would you please take number four and say, this is an absolute and God wants this for my life. God wants me to prosper and succeed and extend God's kingdom. We are called to succeed in our workplace. John Henry Newman said, God has created me to do for him some definite service. He has committed some work to me, which he has not committed to another. I have my mission. I never may know it in this life fully, 
but I shall be told in the next. So I take what God has put into my hands as my mission. You're called to succeed in your workplace. Number five, you're called to see your workplace as your mission field. If every person listening to my voice would take this one serious, the whole kingdom of God would change in our expression as we would go about life 24-7. That my workplace is my mission field. Oh, I'm not waiting to go to the mission field. I'm not waiting for some kind of an evangelistic crusade. I'm not waiting to go to Billy Graham or Louis Palau or some kind of a spiritual event to have some kind of evangelism or I'm not waiting for some kind of evangelism explosion to take place in our city. What I'm going to do is I'm going to make my workplace my mission field. First Thessalonians 4.12, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside. First Timothy 6.1, let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. First Timothy 6, 1 Timothy 6.1 is an amazing verse. The doctrine of God can be blasphemed to a poor worker. The name of God can be trodden upon because of the character or the lack of heart in a worker. Titus 2, 9 and 10, exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, not showing all things that the world shows, but being a person of character, adorned with the doctrine of God in their life. All right, your workplace is your mission field. The workplace is your mission 40 to 60 hours a week, you're divinely placed in a workplace. That's your unreached people group. You don't have to go to Africa. You don't have to go to the Amazon. Your unreached people group is on your job, in your workplace. Your work is a place where you can testify by how you work, with the attitude you work, with the spirit you work so that you can someday maybe give words to your testimony by actually speaking to them about Christ. 1 Peter 3.15 But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. 1 Peter 3.15 simply says, they will ask. There will be a time where they will ask, why do you do it that way? Why do you have such character? Why do you serve like that? Why do you take that abuse? Why don't you enter in with the gossip like the rest of them? How do you work so hard all the time when you know you're not paid sufficiently? How do you go against the tide all the time? How do you keep doing what you're doing? When a workplace becomes your mission field, I want, I want you to see this slide that takes our hours and puts it into a visual aid for us. When a workplace missional lens is implemented, it increases the ministry impact of our serving in our hours every week. Consider this. The true scope of influence for any church is not its attendance. In City Bible Church, hear me. True scope of influence for any church is not its attendance. But the sum total of the relationship of its members, most of whom work. If each person has a regular interaction with 20 people, 
Think about it. How many people do you interact with every week in your work life? 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 50, how many? If every person has a regular interaction just with 20 during a given work week, then a church of 250 has a potential scope of influence of 5,000 people every week. And a church of 5,000, which we are, has a potential in every week to touch 100,000 people. Can somebody say hallelujah? We have the potential of touching 100,000 people every week. Larger than most towns. If I was sending you to the mission field of a 100,000 unreached people and you were going to share the gospel with them, you would be equipped, you'd be ready to go, and you would go after that with such faith. Why? Because you would know that you could have impact on that many people. You can have impact on the unreached, unsaved, unchurched person who would never come into a building, but they're going to work with you for one year, five year, 10 year, 20 years, and you have a chance to win them to Christ through your testimony and through your words and bring them into the kingdom experience. Maybe see them water baptized someday and go into the church and worship the Lord Jesus with you and you would look at the fruit of your labor and say, my job, my workplace has been my mission field all these days. I want you to close your Bibles. I'd like you to stand to your feet. Let me pray. Father God, I pray right now there would come an amazing Holy Spirit anointed upon every person. Lord, let us go this week into our mission field. Let there be an awesome time of where the Holy Spirit would move in my life so that I would worship you in my work. My attitude would be so responsive. Lord, forgive me for being a poor worker. Lord, forgive me for my bad attitude. Lord, forgive me for not representing you in the workplace the way I know you want. Oh God, this is my calling. It's very clear to me. I'm not going to waste any more time. Lord Jesus, help us right now. Do an awesome job with our work, with our business, with our professional life. In Jesus' mighty name.